Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Oh, boy, do we have such an exciting show. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most charismatic animals on the planet. Today, we're going to talk about the river otter. I am so thrilled. Today on the show, we have junior wildlife biologist Jenna Malzahn from the Crane Trust in central Nebraska on the show to talk about her work with river otters. And I just want to say a side note. My wife and I had the pleasure of actually visiting the Crane Trust in central Nebraska this last March to witness the Sand Hill Crane Migration, which is one of the last largest wildlife migrations on the planet. Over 1 million Sand Hill Cranes fly to the Platte River in central Nebraska. And we were there actually on assignment for this Animals to the Max podcast. And by the way, side note, if you want to listen to those episodes, that's episode 170 and 171. So we were there in Nebraska to, of course, document our experience seeing the cranes. We went to the Crane Trust, which is a 6,000-acre wildlife refuge, basically a place where they're trying to restore wetland habitat, restore prairie habitat to what it once was, you know, thousands of years ago. We showed up to the Crane Trust, and directly behind the Crane Trust is a pond in the back. And as I got there, a little birdie told me they had a resident river otter and at the Crane Trust, they had a junior wildlife biologist who was obsessed with them and knew everything about river otters. So I quickly met Jenna. I was so fascinated and I said, listen, you have to come on the show. So today she's on the show to talk about her work with the river otters. You are going to learn so much. My mind was blown during this interview. So like I said, this is a great one. Some of the things I learned, well, I don't want to tell you everything, but otters and beavers, do they get along? You'll have to find out. Do river otters, do they go in the ocean? You'll have to find out. Are river otters nice? I don't know. You'll have to find out. How can you find a river otter? Jenna shares some tips. Anyway, this is a good episode. Before we get to it, as always, please make sure to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and a review. I would appreciate it. It just helps push the show out to more people who are interested in animals. And as always, make sure to join us for the after show. The after show is where everyone's at. And if you are a true diehard Animals to the Max fam, the after show provides exclusive interviews that are only available for patrons all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. I will include a link in the show notes. And when you join our Patreon page, you get access to exclusive interviews that are Patreon only. So we have after shows for, I mean, we have tons and tons of interviews that only patrons can listen to. So if you want exclusive bonus content that provide awesome value, join us for the after show. Okay, with that said, let's talk about river otters. Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? Good? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time now because we met back in March when my wife and I came to the Crane Trust. Yeah. And someone told me, a little bird told me that <laughs> there's someone at the Crane Trust, a junior wildlife biologist that specializes in river otters. And I was like, wait, what? So I immediately, the first thing I did was like, we unpacked at the Crane Trust and then I went to try to go find you to talk about river otters. 
Yeah, I was walking my dog, and I had to, like, run back. They're like, um, can you want to talk about River Runners? And I'm like, okay. So, like, ran back, dropped her off, and, like, hurried over so we could talk about it. Oh, my god! I could talk about River Runners for, like, days. Well, this is perfect, because we've never featured... I, oh my God, I don't think we've ever featured otters on the show. We've had almost 200 episodes and we've never talked about otters. Wow. I know. So you're our first otter expert. Oh, okay. A little bit of a pressure, but. <laughs> no, I don't think it's that much of a pressure. There's not, I don't know. I mean, maybe you could back me up with this, but I feel like there aren't a lot of people who specialize in, in otters. Is that true? False? I mean, there's a good amount. There's there's a good amount of people who like uh, work with otters, I think. But, but I've come across at least. But yeah. okay, but, but the, with the river otters too. Yeah, there's been a lot of work on river otters just because um, they're extirpated for a lot, um, a good amount of their historic range in the United States and in North oh. America. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm learning stuff every day. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So really quick, uh, talk to us a little bit about river otters and maybe some people are wondering what the crane trust is. Um, just a brief background and let's just get into it. So the crane trust is a nonprofit or like a land trust. So we have, um, own like around 6,000 lands our own and we have some, um, conservation easements on other, um, properties as well. Um, private land owners, their properties. What we do is um, we restore the habitat for uh, wildlife. So mostly mm-hmm. our focus is on uh, the cranes and migratory bird species. We have prairie and wetlands that we try to restore. So we do a lot of um, land management. We have like bison back on the landscape for not more like uh, natural grazing. We still have cattle on our landscape as well to get grazing back in. We do fire, prescribed fire, mm-hmm. controlled fire. We do disking of the river. Uh, we do a lot of tree removal because uh, there's a lot more woodlands that have like uh, started encroaching and um, come up along like the, especially the Platte River. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, for cranes in particular, they don't like uh, lots of tall structures. They're not going to roost in the river because they're not going to feel safe and protected. Um, so we're trying to remove those trees and get it back to what it was naturally. So um, we have a nice biodiverse landscape again. Yes. And that's what brought you to the otters. That's why my wife and I went, we went on assignment for this podcast, Animals to the Max. And we went to go check out the Crane Trust and all the wonderful work they're doing to uh, restore the wetlands to their historical range. And that's how we met you. And of course, with, with the cranes and protecting those wetlands, then you also protect habitat for a lot of species, including otters. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, otters and the crane trust doesn't really mix up. Everyone is going to like make that connection. Um, I luckily got to work with otters is because it's habitat based. So everything I've done with otters has been uh, mostly habitat. And then a lot of incidental things um, have just like sprung up just because I've been like looking for otters. So every time anybody sees an otter at work, they're like, Jenna, there's an otter over here. So then I just like kind of like run over and I'm like, oh, cool. And just like watch it. Um, and just you're able to learn so much just from in that way too. Yeah. So have you always been obsessed with otters? Um, no, it's been Ooh. very much like got to Nebraska. My obsession has like just grown. Um, they're such charismatic animals though. Um, like they're so playful in nature. Um, and they're just amazing to watch. You know, it's so. weird. It's weird though. I feel like some listeners might be, when you think Nebraska, I don't necessarily think of otters. No, you definitely don't. I've talked to people like who are native Nebraskans and they don't realize we have otters, which is kind of sad because they're actually uh, Nebraska's conservation success story, which is really cool. Really? Yeah. So um, 
the otters were uh, extirpated from the state back in the early 1900s due to like over harvesting and like habitat degradation because we had um, a lot of agriculture come through and so um and there was uh, yeah unrelated unregulated um over harvest um and so we only had a couple like incidental throughout like most of the 1900s um so in 1986 to like 1991 nebraska game parks actually reintroduced river otters I dropped in 159, um, mostly from like Alaska and Louisiana, um, and to seven sites on like seven different rivers. And uh, now we have like a, they're currently delisted. So they were on a state, they were state listed as endangered. They got moved down to threatened. Now they're completely off. Um, they've been removed uh, in 2020. They got removed because we have enough river routers in the state now. You, I'm not trying to sound doom and gloom, but you don't really come across a lot of conservation success stories like that. No, you don't. So that's why it's really exciting, especially for um, such an important like species like a river otter, because they're they've been referred to as flagship species for like uh, wetlands and like waterways, um, and they are a top predator for like fish and like in their um, for yeah for fish and uh, in their little ecosystem so it is really exciting to have them back and have them so numerous especially because um i mean there's still a lot of agriculture around like not too much has changed in that way um like we haven't like removed like acres and acres of agriculture like it's like we still have lots of cornfields and bean fields and everything like that but like <laughs> still able to like thrive out here even with that it's really cool to see like that coexistence possible and people were killing them for their for their pelts yeah yeah so uh yeah they're a big um in the fur bear they were a big fur bear back in the day okay and so but were people ever killing them for like competition like for like people who were fishing was that something that was going on or was it mainly just for the pelts i mean potentially that could be um what was happening um it was way, it was back in like 1800s and all of this was happening. Like, so da- I don't like, exactly Davy, know. like Davy Crockett days with like <laughs> yeah. the hats and oh my God. That sounds... so I don't know what their motivations exactly were. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, mostly it was just for their pelts. Um, some, I mean, they can still accidentally be caught because beavers are still allowed to be trapped. So they can still be caught accidentally now. Um, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so now... In 2020, they have been delisted and they are thriving in Nebraska. So, I mean, river otters, are they found all throughout the United States? I mean, what is their range? Because we actually have a high listenership in Canada, too. Can we find river otters in Canada? Yes, you can. Yeah. So they actually have an incredibly expansive range, kind of coast to coast um, in North America. Um, they can be in marine environments, freshwater environments. They can be high up in the mountains. As long as there's water, there's usually river otters, um, which is really cool. Marine? Like they can go out in the yeah. sea? What? River yeah. otters? Yeah, they have coastal river otter populations. Wow. I am just learned yeah. something. I ne- Wait, do they ever co-mingle with sea otters? I don't know how often that like occurs. Um, but I mean, if they're in the same area, they could run into each other. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they're found all over North America. Safe to say? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they have been extirpated from a lot of uh, internal like states in the middle, like kind of like Nebraska and like mm-hmm. Kansas and South Dakota and like the Dakotas. Um, but a lot of states are working on reintroduction programs um, in the past, if not currently. Um, so a lot of places are trying to bring them back. 
Okay, if someone's listening, like, why are we wasting resources to bring them back? I think they're cool, by the way. I don't want to say that. But just if someone's listening, like, what is the point of bringing otters back? Yeah, so, I mean, they are a flagship species, so they are a good indicator of water quality um, within, like, rivers and lakes and just, like, any kind of water system in general because they use what? They use what meadows use, uh, pretty much anything that they can have food, shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, they're great in that sense. I mean, they're a great predator um, also, Mm -hmm. which you need predators to keep um, certain prey populations, like, kind of controlled. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but those are kind of probably, I guess, the main two. And the fact that they're cute and adorable. Yes, that definitely helps. (laughs) Yes. And so uh, how big are river otters? Because there are... I mean, because some people, I mean, people know the sea otter. I know there's 13 species of otter, right? Yes. Okay, so how big is the river otters um, with all those 13? Are they pretty large up there on the scale? Um, they're, uh, I guess they're kind of in the middle. Okay. Um, they can, they, I mean, they have a range. They can be 11 to 30 pounds. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, they can range a bit. And they, they are sexually dimorphic, so males are generally bigger than females. Oh, um, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And okay. So what is your work? So we have a little brief background about the river otters. You come to the crane trust and from what I know, you have a resident river otter, which I found so fascinating. Yeah. Um, so what really funny about that is everyone's told me that like, she hasn't been there until I got here. Like she wasn't coming around. Um, but now she's here every spring. We have a pond right outside our office. Um, and she's every spring she's been here for the last three years and I always see her and it's just amazing to watch her. Um, yeah. And you, so you have a beautiful pond back there, but what's shocking to me is that, I mean, so, so you said she only uses that area to raise her young, correct? And then she, then she takes off. Yeah. So, um, she has a maternal den that she's, she's used, reused it twice for two years in a row. She came back this year, actually um, with her young, um, and she had to move there. We had a uh, high water levels at that time. Mm. Um, so the maternal den she had been using, um, previous, the previous two years was flooded. So she couldn't use it. So mm-hmm. she was kind of, I watched her for a couple of days, moving her young around to different spots on the, along the pond to try to find a good place, but the water level is still rising. So mm-hmm. She ended up like abandoning this pond that year and she moved them off somewhere else. And I have no idea where she went, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's pretty exciting that she's, comes back here year after year to use the same site it's like i have so much otter footage because just from that so it's really cool to see yes okay so for the past three years she's been there did you did mm-hmm. you did you name her because i know in the scientific community it's like don't name them it's r1 or o1 did you name her be honest <laughs> um be honest yes, we did we did um we have um kathy um uh one of our employees uh we both named her her name well when we she first came out everyone thought she was a male i was the only one who thought she was a female um and when that ended up being correct um originally her name was emmett i guess kathy's grandchildren watch um it's there's an otter show i don't know what it is but the otter in it is named emmett so the otter was named emmett and when it was finally proven that she was a female her name became emmanette emmanette so, oh what emmanette, a- yeah 
Oh my gosh, Eminet. Okay, that's a that's a mouthful. That's like a, <laughs> Eminet. Oh man, I would say that's beautiful, but that is not. Uh, but I get the I, I get the point, Eminet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so everyone thought it was a male. Was it because of her size? Yeah, she when we first saw her, she was big, but that was also she was pregnant, so that mm-hmm. was why. Um, and that's why I was thinking the entire time. I was like, I think it's the pregnant female. And then one day uh, we used to have a dock kind of out on this pond um, and she used to like come on it and like once you would catch fish, she'd come in, uh, up on the dock and eat fish on the dock. And one day I was just like watching her and she's like rolling around on her back and I was like, you're lactating. Like I can see your nipple. I'm like, you're lactating. I'm like, you're a female. And so um, she had given birth and started lactating and that's how we kind of figured it out. Wow. So when an otter gives birth, how many young and what, what, what do we call the young? So we calling them pups, kits. What are we, is it just like, yeah, are there a variety of different terms? There are so many terms. I have not found like one conclusive answer to that. They call them pups and cubs and kits. So I just usually refer to them as young. Um, oh, that's smart. Like, there's like everything under the sun for them. Um, I haven't found one conclusive answer for that. Um, but usually they have one to six. Okay. Um, average is two to three, um, mm. but okay. they can range one to six. The first time uh, we saw her um, was when she was uh, moving her young from a natal den to maternal den over here, and um, she had four, actually. Four, okay. And mm-hmm. how big are these little, these little young? Yeah, so when she transfers them um, from one den to the other, it's usually, it can be anywhere from three to eight weeks old, Every time I've seen it, they're around six to eight weeks old. Uh-huh. Um, so they're not too big. Their eyes are still closed. Oh they haven't God. opened their eyes yet, usually. Um, but, I mean, comparative to mom, they're about uh, the size of, like, like total lengthwise from, like, her head to, like, kind of her shoulder. Okay. Um, they're kind of, like, that long. We like I to, mean, on the Animals of the Max podcast, we like to use food as a reference. So, like, ooh. You, like the size of a... Like the size of a, when they're really, I, I've seen them size of a banana. This year she oh, was really young oh. and they were size of banana. But um, oh. normally they're a little bit bigger than that. So I'm trying to think of like the next, like maybe like half a loaf of bread. Okay. Half a loaf of bread. That might be good. Okay. That, that was, that's what I usually see. But um, the, okay. this year she moved them a lot earlier and they were like a banana size. They're very small. Okay. Perfect. So she was, so tell me about your work. Cause you were, you were, weren't you writing a paper or gearing up to do something like that with, with research, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, um, I am, I did an eight month camera trap study on river otter off channel habitat use, um, that I'm currently writing up right now. Um, so we had 10 sites out here. We used sloughs and ponds. We set up an array of like three camera traps at each site, um, to get an idea of where, otters were on our property um, and what if they had a preference between slough and ponds or if they had a preference for um a like slew? woodlands a slew yeah what is a this slew. a slew is this like a is this like a midwestern term what is a slew no so <laughs> really good question it's kind of like a creek okay so just like okay a creek a, okay yeah it's a um if I said yeah. here in Idaho, if I said I'm going to go down to the slough and take a bath, people be like, "What? A slough?" Yeah, it's kind of hard to. Um, that is, I definitely wasn't sure what a slough was originally either when I got here, but um, it's like a warm water slough. Um, and uh, I'm trying to. 
Like, is it... Gotta make me think of, like, how, did, how do I define this? Is it is it, like, a bigger creek? Is it, like, a creek with, like, a larger, like, an area, like, a deeper water area? I'm just trying to figure out what a slough is. <laughs> um... I mean, they're relatively similar, like, creek size. They have, uh -huh. um, they're mostly, like, muddy bottoms, I guess you could say, oh. is kind of the difference. Okay. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that is, I'm definitely not a, a water person, as you can tell. No, you're fine. Describing these things. Okay, so your research, you're trying to figure out if they preferred sloughs slash creeks or pond habitat? And a whole bunch of other different variables. Um, so we looked at, like, if there's any water quality differences between the sites, um, we looked at vegetation around the sites. Um, like, so if one was, we had some sloughs that were in woodlands. Would autos prefer to use woodlands versus like tall grass prairie, which is predominantly what we are. Um, so we looked at a whole bunch of that stuff. We looked at grazing because some sites had grazing, some did, some didn't. Would that in, like impact otter use um, and kind of stuff like that? And what what have you found so far? Do they prefer woodlands or meadows? Yeah. So. Everywhere else, um, usually, people have found otters' preference for woodlands. Uh, we did not find that here, um, actually, which was interesting. But uh, really, we think that's probably due to um, they just need escape cover. They just need escape cover. So tall grass prairie and, like, forbs and tall grasses, because, like, our grasses can get up to, like, six feet tall. Wow. That provides adequate cover for them. Like, they don't need woodlands where they would necessarily in other places. They can just use um, what we have here. Like, it provides adequate cover because they're less agile on land. So, like, that's usually where they have the most issue with, like, predation or stuff like that. So, they're going to want that cover to keep them protected. Um, and the prairie provides adequate cover. So, they don't need to, like, go to woodlands for it. What will be their number one predator? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in Nebraska, it could be coyotes, bobcats. It could be bald eagles, mostly for like when they're younger, mm -hmm. um, and great horned owls when they're younger. Um, mountain lions could be too. It's mostly like coyotes and bobcats, though. Really? Do you have mountain? Do you have mountain lions in Nebraska? Western Nebraska, yeah. Really? Yeah, out west we do. Oh my god, I did not know that. I you must yeah. you must have some what foothills over there or something. Yeah, the, out on the Pine Ridge, we have some more elevation out there. The Wildcat Hills, yeah. Wildcat Hills, really? Yeah. Is it a stable population? I know this isn't a cougar podcast, but how interesting. <laughs> uh, I believe it is. Oh, um, yeah. I just don't think of mountain lions in Nebraska. No, you don't. We actually had um, what. Two, I think it was two, year, two years ago now. Sorry, like 2020 is kind of a black hole where oh, I don't actually I remember. Um, <laughs> we had a mountain lion disperse on our property. We caught it on a camera trap. What? Yeah. <laughs> you don't see, I don't think of mountain lions as open prairie creatures. Uh, no, I mean, well, I mean, they were here at one point, though. I'd, I guess you're right. I guess you can make the argument, was it a stable population? Like, did they live here or was oh, it kind of just like going through, moving around, dispersing? Yeah. Because, um, you know, when you think of mountain lions, you think of like the Rockies, like of where I live, Idaho. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I don't actually know too much about how much they, if we had a stable population like that lived in the prairie. Um, but yeah, we had one just come right through. <laughs> so that would almost look like a scene from Africa, like seeing an African lion, honestly, with the prairies. Yeah. Like, how cool okay yeah that yeah is... it was really cool okay so okay so river otters number one predators would probably be coyotes 
Bobcats, yeah. Bobcats, okay. Are you laughing because I said coyotes and not coyotes? No, no, I... <laughs> I, I saw you smirk, because here in Idaho, we say coyotes, but apparently everywhere else, people say coyotes. I know. I have. I also learned, when I, I was in Idaho for a couple months, I interned out there, and um, I, when I, I called them mountain lions, and I was told, they're not mountain lions, I hear they're cougars. Yeah, so, and, and I just said cougar, too. And then usually, yeah. s- sometimes we refer to cougars here, you know, as like middle-aged women who like to have Chardonnay. <laughs> So, I like it. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Sorry. Sidetrack. Okay. So you, you found that the river otters prefer the prairies cause they can get the protection. Did you find they prefer the sloughs or the ponds? Uh, didn't matter. It didn't matter. It did not matter. No. Yeah. They, it just needed a water source. They really just, otters are not actually too, um, picky about things. Um, so we also looked at like how close were like anthro, progenic like features like roads um buildings stuff like that um and like we found also other previous studies have found that otters don't really care about like you could have a house right there they don't really care about human activity as long as they have like their basic needs are met so if there's shelter there's water there's food all that stuff if that if that's met then they're pretty okay to like live in close proximity to humans really because i was wondering mm-hmm. so we have the boise river that flows through here and people i used to see river otters all the time when i was a kid and i guess i haven't been down there for a while but people float the river and there's such a high concentration of people floating i haven't seen any and like i said i haven't been down there really looking but have you seen them affected by that at all or are they fine with it as long as they have a proper habitat yeah i mean well Interest. I mean, we we have an office right here, and the pond is right behind the office, and she's here out here all the time. Like she's, because they can change their um their activity time. They're usually crepuscular animals, mm. but they can go to more nocturnal, like during the summer. Um, usually, like if like they need to, if like there's high human activity and stuff like that. Um, she is out in the middle of the day, like 2 p.m. She's out swimming that pond, and like we're all working in the office, or we're out walking around. She's just out in the pond, and she's so not. I, she's not spooked. No, she's fine. I mean, we don't like run up to her to try to spook her or anything like that. But um, as long as you like stay pretty far back, you can watch her like on the on the deck right off the office, and she has no idea you're there at all. Hmm. And she's just actively hunting. Yeah, usually that's what she's doing. She's out. Um, just swimming around hunting for fish. Wow. Now, do they eat a lot? I hear otters have to eat a, like a lot of fish to stay. I mean, they eat they eat a lot um, compared to some other predators. Yeah, that is, I do not know how much they have to eat. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen her hunt a lot. I've seen her catch like at least four fish a day before. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say she can <laughs> hunt a lot and eat a lot of fish. Um, but yeah, I don't know exactly how much. Uh-huh. And I was, but, but she's, she's hunting daily though. Um, pretty much a good amount. I've seen her hunt a couple days in a row before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I also see her in spring here and we're just talking about this one individual. I see her in spring and she's lactating. So, mm-hmm. um, the interesting thing about river otters is, um, they have delayed implementation. Oh. So they give birth. And then they go into estrus. They breed, they copulate and breed, um, and are also lactating all at the same time. Wow. Yeah, like all relatively in like the, like a month kind of period, uh, and then they um, like it, it the they mate. They have a 
blastocyst that is just kind of like free reigning inside or a couple free reigning insides and then it takes like up to eight months and then it'll implant into the wall based on like the photo period um and like hormonal changes based on like photo period outside and then like it implants and that's when they start their actual gestation for like the two months and they give birth and then it happens all over again Wow, so kind of like a marsupial, because they can have delayed implantation too, like a wallaby or a kangaroo. So would that be a survival strategy then? Yeah, potentially it's, um, they've evolved it so that they make sure they're giving birth uh, when they have uh, the best, like, and most resources available to them. Mm -hmm. So right, it's like all the ice is starting to melt, so they have easier access to, like, ponds and sloughs and the rivers and everything's not frozen anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, you mentioned the, the winter and ice. Do they hibernate at all or have some sort of a winter den? Um, no, I mean, they will have a den. Um, necessarily, they won't necessarily stay in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of move around. Um, but they have, they usually construct their home range during the winter and they'll have like certain activity centers, like certain areas where like they'll hang out. Um, and usually they're kind of just like a hole in the ice that they keep open to get in. Do they like continue to keep that hole open? Yeah. How do they do that? Just like use their little, they have cute little feet. What are they doing? Like digging there or biting or? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not just them that use it. Like we have, we have a lot of, we have four aquatic mammals, semi-aquatic mammal species out here. So we have beavers too. We have muskrats and we have mink. So they're all kind of helping. I mean, they pick uh, usually where the, the thinnest spot on the ice um, to keep open. So it's not like, I mean, they can have some, like, kind of in the middle of a lake or a pond, but usually they're kind of, like, on the edges um, near the banks that they keep open because it's easier to break through, especially if there's vegetation there. Okay. And my number one question, I think I asked this when I met you um, at the Crane Trust. I was like, oh, my God, we have to get you on the show. Do they, like, okay, how are they with the beavers? Do you, I mean, they obviously live in the same area. Do they fight with beavers? Do they get along? Um... Otters love beavers. Um, really? Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not saying they're buddy, buddy, but like <laughs> <Okay>. usually, <laughs> usually what happens is uh, uh, beavers create habitat for otters when they kind of um, create their dams and they create like the flooding of like the little kind of like little smaller ponds mm-hmm. um, that creates habitat for river otters. River otters love that. And they can often like follow beavers around. Um, oh. And um, I mean, they use the lodgers and bank dens of beavers because Otters don't create their own dens. They just take other animals, usually. Oh. Or like the one here we have, it's a metal pipe that she's using. She's been oh. using for the past two years. It's okay. a water control structure between two ponds that she's been using. Um, so they, yeah, they just take over other species' uh, dens or natural formations, um, like brush piles and uh, like l- little caves sometimes, depending on where they are in the United States. Um, but yeah, they'll use beaver bank dens, beaver lodges. Um, sometimes the beavers are still in them and they'll go in there too. Um, what? Yeah, I don't know. Really? Yeah. I mean, there has been a couple instances of otters eating beavers. Um, Wait, what? Very, it's not that much. It's not like a big part of their diet. They mostly eat fish. I thought beavers were huge. I, they are huge. But like so young, young beaver kits maybe? Yeah, I have, I, it's only, like, it's barely in the literature. It's, like, a little, only a little bit. Like, they found, like, some, like, beaver fur and, like, some outer scat. Um, but, so I don't know. I don't think it's a 
a big part of their diet. I would not say that at all, um, but it has happened in the past. And I don't know, maybe it was a young beaver, maybe it was an old beaver that was like kind of already sick or injured or something like that. But yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mind blown. Okay. So they'll even, I just, well, they'll, that's so cool. And uh, for those of you, um, I mean, so some people might be wondering, are otters and beavers in the same family? No. Okay. They're not. Yeah. No, otters are in the mustelid family. So they're um, related to mink and wolverines. Weasels, um, all that type of fun stuff. Weasels, yep. Yep, yep. And then beavers, of course, are big rodents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're big rats i think beavers are so cool but people that's my whenever beavers are one of my favorite animals to work with and i love telling people they're these giant rodents and people are like they're rodents what it blows their mind yeah no it does yeah okay so uh you mentioned something interesting you said otter scat and when i met you in person you were so thrilled to show me otter crap i've never seen someone so excited i think you whipped out your phone too and was like you have to look at it it's so shimmery so tell the it's glittery it's glistens in the sun can we yeah. talk about that <laughs> yeah we can um i don't know i just i'm fascinated with all you can do with scat in general um for like from a research standpoint like you can get genetics you can get diet you can get so much from scat now so that just fascinates me um, and otter does, otter scat is really, really cool in and of itself because it's like so easy to spot. Like it is probably like the easiest scat to like find out there because it's green for one. It's usually green. kind of like a dark green color Okay. and it's full of fish scales. So that's where you get kind of like the shimmery glistening quality of it. Okay. Okay. I'm writing all these notes down because I'm going to go look around some ponds. Okay. So it's dark green, full of fish scales. Okay. Yeah, and usually otters have latrine sites, so you're not just going to find, like, one site. You'll find, like, a lot, usually. Oh, so they have little toilets. Like, yeah. they have little toilets. That is so, okay. Okay, so these are kind of clean animals, then. They're not just going everywhere. I mean, I wouldn't, they, they go everywhere, too, but they uh, usually they have latrine sites um, are also a good place uh, to kind of communicate with other otters. Um, cause they're having this, this scat and they also have like anal secretion as well. Oh, um, yeah. especially okay. like, so especially if like an otter is an estrus, like it's a good place to try to okay. get an idea of where she is kind of, if you're, if you're a male looking for her. Okay. And I should say they, they do have like, they do have a, an odor to them cause they're part of the mustelid family, right? They're all yes. very odorous animals. Yes, they they are not they do not smell that great. <laughs> what do they they don't they smell like a skunk, but I mean it's pretty What is it what yeah. does it smell like? If someone's wondering, um, they're like what does an otter smell like? It smells gross. Like I don't know if I can find it. Is it like fishy like, a little bit? Is it kind of fishy? Yes. Yeah. I could definitely say it's fishy. Uh, I mean that's mostly what they eat. Um and it does like have like some kind of like skunk qualities to it. And like, I guess like kind of, it's just like so strong. Yeah. Um, especially if you like find like a little condensed area of it, it can be so strong. Um, so I can't really, I can't really think of anything really describe it. Um, so you're like, Oh, that's what I like. Is it like sour like, fish and wet fur? Yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it right there. 
Okay. I've worked with a few otters. I just remember. I mean, I, I don't mind it. I think it's cool. I just, yeah. I, okay. And and I hear, I have friends who are zookeepers who take care of otters, and they say it is the worst poop to try to clean up. It is god-awful. It stinks. It's runny all the time. It's just awful. Oh, I bet. I bet. I don't have to, like, clean it do up. anything with it. I just have to, I just look at it, and I'm like, cool. So and that's it. Yeah. And then take photos. <laughs> just take, yeah, take photos. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So that's awesome. And that's a really good point that you brought up. If someone listening is trying to find otters, what are, what are some other signs of, of, of a place like otter habitat? So we could, we could find a bunch of shiny dark green poop that glistens. So that could be a sign of an otter. What else could be a sign of an otter? Yeah. So, I mean, your best chance of like looking for otters also is just along a water source. So a pond, a, mm-hmm. a slough, a stream, a river, a lake, uh, wetlands, that's the best place to look. Um, like all the scat I find is usually like around water source. Um, they do use a bunch of different kinds of trails. So if there's already like a trail made by deer, they're going to use it. So that's really helpful. But otters make these kind of things called slides. It's really easy to see in the wintertime when there's ice because they kind of just like will just slide around my belly and like through the snow. And it's kind of um, just what it sounds like. It's kind of like a, it kind of like, it kind of like what a snake does, except it's not, doesn't curve. It's just straight. Oh. It's just them like just kind of running and jumping on their belly and just straight up sliding. Oh my God. Okay. So they'll make those in ice and sometimes it like, the ice is soft. It'll freeze like that. So you can see like, oh, an otter was just sliding across the river. Um, and in the snow, they'll do that. Um, they, have, I mean, in mud and such, you can find otter tracks too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know how to like adequately, adequately describe that. Um, oh, it's probably hard. Talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they I mean, they leave tracks places too. Um, but yeah, they're, Sky is usually one of the best ways to find yeah. them, year-round at least. I always could always tell when I was either near an otter den or just maybe a site. I mean, do, do they have, were they just, I'm assuming territories where they just hang out, right? Like that's their place. That's their home, correct? Otters have actually really big home ranges. Oh, and, okay. And um, they aren't very territorial with each other. Oh, um, good to know. So like there's overlap between like, dip, like, we have 6,000 acres for that camera trap study I did. I had at least four family groups oh. within that. Um, yeah, so we have a high density of river otters on the Platte River, too. So, um, I mean, it's not like that everywhere, obviously. Um, we just have, like, a lot of good um, shelter and food sources available to them. So, like, it can support more otters. Oh. Um, yeah, but... Um, yeah, they're not necessarily – and they're more territorial uh, during breeding season, kind of a given, um, okay. just because uh, males are going to want to only breed females. Mm. They're not going to want to share that. They're not going to like that all the males come in. So that's like uh, – testosterone usually increases in males during breeding season, and they become a little bit more ter- ter- territorial. Female um, Females become more territorial once they give birth. So like at their natal den, which is the den they give birth in, um, they guard it. Like to the like, they are very secretive about its location. They don't want anyone, any other otter coming near it. Usually, um, just because because I mean, males have higher testosterone. There's potential of if it, 
they don't think it's they're young and they can potentially kill them. Um, I don't know. There hasn't been a recorded instance of that, but it's kind of a just a protective um, response. Um, also, because they are born so small, they're altricial, they have closed eyes, they're very weak, um, they need all that protection they can get. So um, mom's going to be more protective of them at the natal den mm-hmm. versus the maternal den where she usually moves them when they're a little bit older. Um, they're finally starting to walk around and uh, that's where she teaches them to swim and to hunt. And so um, they're not, she's not as secretive and there's not as much protection necessarily there as there is against with the natal den. Now, but Eminette would not be happy if another female came into that pond at the crane trust. Um, well, that, so that's maternal den. So she actually, we had otters come visit the den before. Really? Yeah. And I mean, I, they ran off, so she probably scared them off. Okay. Um, but they did come back because, um, well, sometimes otters actually have like helper females will come in um, oh. when the otters are, uh, when she's like has young, we'll have a helper female. So you'll have like mom, her young, and then you'll have like a helper female. It could be her own um, young from a previous litter, could be unrelated adult too, but they'll come in and they'll help raise the young too. That's interesting. A lot of animals do not provide that type of care. I've never I've never seen that, but that has been recorded happening. Yeah, it's really interesting. Wow. Okay. And you keep on saying the natal den and the maternal den. Why did they switch them up? Why can't they just stay at the same place? Yeah. So it's actually um, uh, not really. Uh, how do I say this? Um, it's not a big term in the like the literature yet. Oh, um, that okay. was one of the things that um, when we witnessed this transfer den transfer um it was something that i noticed i was like oh why is she using a new den like why is this happening and i went to the literature and everyone was like they've mentioned it happening before but no one really talked about it and i was like that's interesting and so other mustelids do it like mink um well not mink sorry fishers martins and wolverines Mm. use multiple dens Mm -hmm. um and uh it's important to have this distinction between a natal and maternal den Um, So you can get a better understanding of how they rear their children, like the rearing behavior, like do characteristics differ between natal and maternal den? Um, Like the natal den is more secretive. Maternal den isn't. Maternal den is probably is usually closer to water because she needs to teach them how to swim and to hunt and give those um, skills that they like life skills that they need to survive later on in life. And they're finally able, they're more mobile. um, They're more active. She can't really keep them as, um, secret anymore um, because they're going to start just leaving the dead on their own because they can finally move around and that kind of thing. Okay. And so that, and that's another thing that fascinated me too. When I was talking to you, you were telling me like, Oh, she, I mean, they can travel miles, right. To, and it's weird. I always thought they were just like, I guess like had to be next to water, but like, no, these guys could like travel a long ways to find a water source. Yeah, I mean, she's usually like the river is usually like the travel corridor. Okay. Um, so they're not going to really travel on land too far because mm. they're not as agile just uh, in general. Because you see an otter run on land, they're it's, so cute. I mean, they're awkward. It's so funny, but it's so awkward at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um. So they're not going to be able to like outrun anything, but in the water, they're pretty safe. Yeah. So I was just so I so the natal den is not probably right on the water's edge. It's probably off somewhere in the prairie or the woodland. Is that where? It's yeah. Been? Okay. 
Yeah, it needs to be, um, especially because the young are so um, vulnerable at that age. It's okay. just right as she gives birth is where they're in there. They're for the first couple weeks of their life is when they're in the natal den. And so they needed to be like high up a bank. Like oh. they could be on the water, but really like it means a really steep bank or they're like 400 meters off the river in like a fox den, which has happened before. Okay. Um, an old fox den, I should say, not an active one. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> um, think they would get along. No. And so, um, because I mean, especially out here in Nebraska on the Platte river in general, like the water is not stable. It's very, it fluctuates a lot. And so you want stable water source near your young. Otherwise your den is going to get flooded and they're going to die. Okay. And how long will the young be with, with mama before they start dispersing and having their own little river outer families? Yeah. So they're with mom, um, for like the first eight to 10 months of their life. Okay. Um, they're self-sufficient at five to six, but they still usually hang around with mom until um, either that fall or she kicks them out right before she gives birth. Okay. And will they, okay, when are they weaned? Like, do they start, like, when do they, they start eating fish? They start eating fish around nine to 10 weeks. So they're usually weaned at around 12 weeks, like three months, okay. or that's, they're starting to get weaned um, around that. Um, but yeah, they'll still hang out with mom. Um, that's usually the groups you see, uh, if you see river otter groups, they're usually mom and her young. Oh, um, okay. you, there are some bachelor groups that like crop up outside of breeding season. Okay. Um, but. Okay. And yeah. do they, does mom bring like live fish back to teach them how to hunt at all? Yeah. So, um, that's why, uh, usually maternal dens are closer to water. So like she mm -hmm. doesn't have to first of all traverse as far back and forth. So mm -hmm. it's better for her. Um, and they're closer to a food source and it's usually, um, again, off channel. So they're not like on the river. So you have like smaller fish kind of in ponds and sloughs uh -huh. and she kind of will catch one, bring it back and kind of like let go and have like little young try to catch it themselves. Um, so yeah, she's kind of trying to slowly teach them like how to catch. And it's a lot of like give and go. Um, not always that easy. Yeah. And yeah. And are they, uh, I think I've kind of, uh, have an idea of what they're like, but I'm just going to ask you, are, are they a social species at all? Or is it mainly like once they're, once they're born and out of the nest or out of the den, are they just kind of on their own until it's breeding season? They're pretty social. Um, really? So they'll, okay, good to know. Yeah. So like, I mean, they're with, uh, like younger with mom for that, like 10, 12 months, they disperse. Sometimes they'll uh, just go off by themselves. Sometimes they'll stay together. Siblings will stay together or they'll join up with other juveniles that are dispersing for a little bit. Okay. Cause I mean, they're not sexually active till they're two years old. Um, okay. And males don't usually get to actually breed until they're five to seven. Okay. Uh, they're not like successfully breeding yet until they're a little bit older. Um, okay. so it takes a little bit of time. So yeah, they're, I'm actually still pretty social. Um, I mean, during breeding season, the otters will court each other. Um, so they will nuzzle and groom each other, um, uh, which is, we got to witness it this year, um, out of the pond again. She came back to the pond really? with a male suitor. Really? And we got a yeah. We got some videos of them kind of nuzzling each other and like rolling around. Um, it was really, really cool. To see. And, and what, what time of year is this? Um, February. That was Fe February. February. And then she'll hold on to the, uh, delayed implantation. She'll wait. Um, yeah. until, okay. Until she uh, wants to have her young in the spring. Yes. Of like the next year. So she'd probably oh, already given birth. Oh, yeah, the, the next, next year. Oh God. Yeah. I, oh, the next yeah. year. 
Yeah, so usually what happens is she gives birth, then goes into estrus. Okay. And then um, that she breeds, and that's where the delayed implantation happens. So, like, she'll breed, um, we'll have a blastocyst that's kind of just, like, free-floating uh-huh, uh-huh. um, inside. and doesn't implant until next year. So, but but she'll have her, her young in the spring. She'll keep mm-hmm. them, okay, through the winter, obviously. Okay, and then that's when she'll breed again. Okay, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get my, my yes. whole otter timeline. It's a little no, confusing, I got it. It is, it's really confusing, because, like, you're like, oh, well, she has babies, and she's breeding, but she's breeding not for this year, it's the next year kind of thing. Yeah, okay, that's Yeah, so, it is. Um, But, yeah, um, it's also interesting, because, like, I mean, because of the delayed implantation, they have... Um, when they the blidosas like implants into like their wall and they actually are pregnant and they have the gestation for the two mm-hmm. months um it's based on photo period and like hormonal changes from the photo period outside mm-hmm. and so it can they can have young from anywhere from january to june because it also depends on like where they are in sure. on the continent versus like latin long so it's can it can range in that sense too Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Jenna, well, we are uh, approaching the end of the interview. Will you join me for the after show? Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Okay. Do you have any last minute words or anything? Like, uh, do you have an Instagram you want to plug or do you, I mean, the crane trust, anything you want to say to our listeners? Um, I'm just really happy that I got to talk to you guys. So thanks for listening just in general and having me on here. Um, yeah, crane trust, Facebook and Instagram is only ones I really get to vlog right now though. Are but. you not on uh, social media? Are you just too busy out in the field? I'm, I mean, I, yeah, I'm pretty much too busy. I have some, but I'm like never on it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have a MySpace that you want to plug? I do not have a MySpace. No, it is still around. I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> All right. So Jenna, before we leave and head on over to the after show, and by the way, listeners, if you want to head on over to the after show, all you have to do is visit the link. I'll put it in the show notes. It's just patreon.com slash animals to the max. Will you hit us before we leave with your favorite river artifact? Oh yeah. I mean, my favorite one to tell is the delayed implementation just because, like, it blows my mind um, is how they can, a female can be uh, lactating and breeding and, um, like, giving birth, like, all in, like, the same, like, two-month period. Like, that just blows my mind. Um, But, I mean, I guess the one really cool thing is just how playful they are in general. Like, that's just so fun to see. Like, they, you see videos of them, like, in zoos, like, chasing butterflies around, and they will just sometimes just slide in the, like the snow and the ice just for fun. Like they're not going anywhere. They're just like sliding around and rolling around. Wow. And so that's probably like one of the cool fun facts is because they're very relatable in that sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, awesome. Well, Jenna, thank you so much. Audience, I hope you join us for the after show. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.